0: Hey, welcome to another podcast with SIUC Veterinary Services. I'm Alison Braddock, Marketing and Business Development Manager, and today I'll be chatting to Dairy Consultant Lorna McPherson, our colleague in SAC Consulting, and Katrina Henderson, Veterinary Investigation Officer uh, from SIUC Veterinary Services. And today we will be exploring nutrition and health issues of dairy beef calves. Hello, Katrina and Lorna. Uh, Good afternoon. Hi, Alison. Hello. So, Katrina, um, can you tell us a little bit about what you see as the potential issues in the dairy beef industry in Scotland and how we can address them?
1: So, I think... Over the last few years, as well as an increase in in larger calf-rearing enterprises, we're seeing an increase in numbers of smaller calf-rearers who are are rearing dairy beef perhaps as a a sideline to a suckler herd or as a diversification. So a lot of people to to whom this is is new for. And that presents great opportunities for the Scottish dairy industry um, and for calf-rearing. But it's also a a challenging industry just in terms of its, its makeup that you're taking calves potentially from different sources at an age at which their immune system is, is down and, and, you know, potentially mixing them and transporting them. So I think there's a a lot of, of things to think about. Um, and that's partly why we're interested in this area is, is trying to think about these in advance and, and do as much in the way of, of prevention and, and management as we can. So, you know, one of the issues is, is in terms of infectious disease, while in, in dairy herds and suckler herds we've got opportunities to maintain a closed population to look at quarantine screening we don't have those sort of same opportunities in 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 dairy calf rearing so we need to think in a different way about how we handle infectious diseases and I think also these may be a group of people who are who are not particularly familiar with dealing with artificially reared calves and, and the nutritional um Issues and, and subtleties around that, so I think that's something that that really needs addressed, and, and really nutrition is is critical to, um, to the success of these enterprises. Okay, thanks. And and Lorna, how much milk
2: should we be feeding uh, dairy beef calves? Yeah, that's a really important question, Alison. I mean, we think about a beef calf that naturally suckles its dam; it could be taken up to about ten to twelve liters a day. So certainly in the sort of Dairy beef calf, sort of rearing system, we're not going to be necessarily looking at ad lib milk feeding. We are to some extent looking at a more restricted sort of feeding system of milk. But at the same time, it's really important to make sure that these calves are not underfed. Uh, and generally speaking, the more milk, the better in terms of growth performance, up until a point. So we, we want to really be feeding a, a minimum amount of milk. And with that, we need to think about not just litres, but also the concentrate of the calf milk replacer as well. So we need to think about it in terms of grams of calf milk replacer, as well as litres. So. A typical inclusion rate of calf milk replacer would be about 750 grams of powder per calf per day. Now, I'd say that would be the absolute minimum that we want to be feeding these dairy beef calves when they come onto the rearing unit around about two to three weeks of age. Uh, And a typical rate in terms of litres would be about six litres. So in order to achieve that 750 grams, we're looking at an inclusion rate of 12.5%. Uh, of milk replacer, and that would be equivalent to the dry matter content of whole milk. However, what we've been seeing, like in the last few years, in reading uh, sort of dairy replacement heifer calves, is that farmers are really looking at pushing growth on these calves at a younger age to try and get them off to a better start. And now I would say a 15% inclusion rate is a lot more typical. So 15 percent inclusion, that basically means 150 grams of powder per 850 mils of water to make up a litre. If we added, for example, 150 grams of powder to one litre of water, that's actually a 13 percent inclusion. So it's very important that farmers follow um, the the guidance in terms of how calf milk replacer is mixed, as well as obviously things like making sure it's fed at the correct temperature. Um, So a 15% inclusion fed at six litres would give 900 grams of powder and I would say that's a pretty standard rate for feeding dairy calves but also dairy beef calves as well. Like I said before generally the higher the level of powder fed the better the growth that we're going to get on these calves at an early age. Typically farmers used to feed about a 12.5% inclusion rate in summer and then in the winter time they would step that up to 15% because we know that Calves certainly do feel the cold. So the lower critical temperature of a calf under three weeks of age um, is about between 10 to 15 uh, degrees. Uh, and know these calves are cold, they need more energy to maintain themselves, keep warm and also support the immune system. So they don't grow as well. So certainly 15% minimum inclusion in the colder winter months is definitely recommended and calves will perform better on that. Ideally, we want to make sure that we're feeding calves twice a day it's a legal requirement that calves have to be fed twice a day up to four weeks of age and there will be some farms although I think they're in the minority that would after four weeks of age just feed once a day but certainly from a nutrition and 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 health perspective uh, we would recommend twice a day feeding of milk so three liters in the morning three liters in the afternoon feed okay that that's really interesting actually How important is starter feed and forage when dairy beef calves are still on milk, Lorna? Um, Yeah, it's a good question, Alison. And while the young dairy beef calf, the majority of their nutrition is going to be coming from that milk, starter feed and forage is also vitally important. So the starter feed is really important because it's um, really significant in helping develop the rumen. Um, so your concentrate, your grade, et cetera, when that's broken down in the rumen, it produces volatile fatty acids, two of which are propionate and butyrate. And these are both really crucial in developing the rumen wall. So helping develop the papillae, which increases surface area for absorption and also help develop the vascular system as well for nutrient absorption. So starter feed intake is key. Even though at around three to four weeks the level of intake will be relatively small, what we want to make sure is that starter feed intake by the time the calves gets to weaning is really really good. We're looking for calves to be eating about a kilo and a half of starter feed intake a day before they're weaned. Um, so that should indicate that we've got a good level of room and development there. Um, forage is also really important. So again, the intake of forage at Uh, a young age is not going to be particularly high and it's not going to contribute significantly in terms of protein and energy. But forage is really there to help, again, develop the rumen. So to help develop the muscular layer in the rumen and also enable um, sort of normal papillae growth. Uh, So again, helping develop uh, the rumen wall normally. In terms of forage, what type of forage should we be feeding? Well, straw is thought to be the best forage uh, for young calves, ideally it should be chopped and fed from racks and not just provided from bedding. And the reason we want to feed straw as opposed to something that's of higher nutritional value um, is that if we provided something like hay, which is of higher nutritional value and quite palatable, calves would eat more of it, in which case they wouldn't eat as much starter feed intake. And it's really the starter feed that helps develop that Roman wall. So the forage has a role in terms of. Developing the muscular layer of the rumen and helping rumen expansion and growth, but it's not really providing the nutrition. Um, it's really there, uh, like it's the physical form of that feed which is important to the calf. So, basically, the dairy beef calf on entry to the rearing unit, yes, it obviously needs to get that six litres of milk or 900 grams of milk powder per day, but having access to starter feed and uh, chop straw is also really important as well. Okay, so
0: so if you're weaning calves off milk, what 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 do you need to consider then once once you've looked, looked looking at weaning? Uh,
2: there's a lot of things we need to consider uh, when we're weaning calves off milk. So weaning is going to be a really stressful time for the calf. Uh, obviously, we're removing one of its main sources of nutrition. Um, so the things that we want to Consider as to when do we wean these calves. Is to think about have they first of all eaten enough starter feed? Is that rumen uh, well developed so that once we remove that milk, the calves have got a good appetite, they've got a good feed intake after weaning, which means we'll hopefully see less of a post-weaning growth check. Yeah, so it's important to make sure that the calves are eating enough starter feed, Um, and, and generally they will do that if we're step weaning, reducing the amount of milk that they're getting, and then starter feed intake will increase with that. But we also want to make sure that the calves are well grown, that they've met their growth target, which ideally we want them to be growing at a minimum of about 0.8 kilos per day. Um, Another target to think about is typically we would wean calves around about eight weeks of age. We want them to have doubled their birth weight by then. So let's assume we've got a calf that's about 40 kilos at birth. At eight weeks of age when that calf is weaned, it should be a minimum of 80 kilos and has doubled its birth weight. Um, And this will really help the calf, you know, as long as it's grown well, it's a good size and it means that it's going to be much more able to uh, compete after weaning. If it's moved into like a group housing situation, you know, with other calves, if it's moved into bigger pens and we want to make sure that these calves are big enough to compete in larger groups um, for for feed and, and water. Uh, And we also want to make sure that, uh, you know, they are a good age at weaning as well. Like I said, eight weeks is typically um, sort of the normal age that we would tend to wean calves. Some farmers will keep them on milk for a wee bit longer, maybe up to 10 weeks. Um, And and organic systems, calves have to be on milk for for 12 weeks. But we certainly don't want to be weaning calves any younger than six weeks of age. It means that they're usually much more susceptible um, to to disease uh, at that stage. Um, What I would say is that um, if calves are not eating enough starter feed, if they're below the weight target and if there's any sort of health issues, then it would be really important to delay weaning until they're that wee bit stronger and healthier.
0: Okay, good. And so you mentioned the post weaning growth check. Um,
2: How can you minimise that? So there's a few things we can do to minimise the post-weaning growth check. And one of the main ones is making sure that we wean calves gradually off milk and we don't abrupt wean them. So the volume of milk should be reduced gradually over a number of days, um, somewhere between like a minimum of seven days up to about 14 days. And generally, the higher the levels of milk that we're feeding, the longer that weaning period needs to be. And this will allow time to uh, allow the calf to... Uh, consume more starter feed intake so that when the calf's milk is removed they've already got a good intake of solid feed uh, which is going to help replace that lost milk. Um, Other things that we need to think about at weaning is reducing any other stressors so keeping the calf on the same type of concentrate and forage for at least one if not two weeks post weaning so basically just trying to keep everything else the same keep them in the same groups not change the housing environment but also avoid any other stressful uh, management procedures such as vaccinations, disbudding or castration. So it's basically just trying to minimise stress as much as possible and have a very gradual weaning process of
0: milk. Okay, thanks, Lorna. That's really interesting. So, Katrina, as well as underfeeding and issues around weaning, what other nutritional issues do you see in these rearing
1: systems? So the most common that we would see in terms of nutritional issues by far is is rumen drinking. Um, And actually, when we reviewed five years worth of of data of mortality in artificially reared calves, it was the second most common cause of mortality. So it it really is an issue that it's worth thinking about how you're going to to prevent it. um, Because really, you know, prevention is, is the key to getting on top of this. And what we mean by rumen drinking is that instead of the, the rumen or reticular groove closing and the milk going into the abomasum is that it goes into the rumen instead. So when you look at these calves at post-mortem, instead of having a nice milk clot in the abomasum, what they will have is a is, is sort of grey, smelly, fermented milk in the rumen. And you often get follow-up uh, pathology to that. So a like fungal ruminitis um, or just damage to the ruminal wall, and. Um, kind of bacteremias, You can get aspiration pneumonia because you've not got normal um, gastrointestinal motility. You can get dysbiosis and overgrowth of bacteria right down the the GI tract and and quite often sort of chronic scours and and poor growth rates. So in terms of of preventing it, really the the risk factors for it are, are calves that feed from an open bucket instead of a teat. So getting them onto a teat, Making sure that teat's not, the teat opening is not too wide so they're not drinking too fast and making sure that it's placed at, at nose height. The volume of, of milk that you're feeding needs to be sufficient so that they're not and, and frequent enough. So that's, you know, that's one of the massive benefits of, of continuing twice daily feeding is that you've not got calves that are as hungry so they're not drinking as fast and you're not getting such a slug of, of, of fermentable carbohydrate at once. Also looking at, at um, just consistency of, of timing and temperature of feeding, minimizing stressors uh, and addressing issues of, of concurrent disease and, and other um, calf scour pathogens. The other one that we see sometimes in, in groups of calves is, is what's been called sort of summer scour syndrome. Um, and what we mean by that is, is sort of cal- groups of calves that go out to grass and they start to have diarrhea. Um, and they waste away, and often they have lesions in, in the mouth and in the esophagus as well. And it's it's often the younger end of the calves that go out to grass, and it's often calves that have a very abrupt weaning. So they'll be weaned off of milk um, and then very quickly turned out to grass, and particularly turned out to grass with any, without any sort of supplementary feeding. So they, um, so they have a very abrupt change. You also tend to find that, that calves will... Eat the leafy part of the grass and, and not so much the stem. So they get a very high um, nitrogen load from that. And that's thought to be part of it as, as well in terms of upsetting the, the gut flora. So really looking at, you know, your age of weaning, not changing anything else at weaning and giving them a bit of time inside on, on concentrates and forage before they go out. Trying, particularly when they go out, if they're going out at young age, to avoid very heavily slurried or fertilised pastures. Um, rumen buffers anecdotally um, make a difference as well. And, and sometimes rotational grazing too to, to encourage them to eat the, the leafy part and the, the stalk as well. Um, but those would be two of the, the common nutritional issues that we would see in
0: in these calves okay that's that's really interesting. It's a really useful insight into to managing calves. So what do you see as the main infectious disease challenges
1: in in dairy beef rearing Katrina? So I mean really probably unsurprisingly sort of pneumonia and and scour um and looking at pneumonia it, it will be very common um in dairy beef rearing units. We did one, Project where we're just on one farm um, and it it was it was kind of through the winter time, we we scanned calves as they came onto a calf rearing unit. And actually, using ultrasound scanning, 86% of of those calves had some degree of of lung consolidation. So we are going to see pneumonias in calf rearing units, uh, and the most common cause would be mycoplasma bovis. Um, with the with Surpasturalaceae, so Manheimias pasturellas coming in second. And with Mycoplasma bovis, it's a, it's a challenging one as well in that um, Jessica Ireland-Hughes, who recently did a PhD looking at the prevalence of, of Mycoplasma bovis in Scottish dairy herds, found that 86% were bulk tank positive. So this is something we're going to, to come up against, and it's, it's worth thinking uh, preemptively about how we're going to deal with that. In terms of scours, um, what will concern calf reviewers will certainly depend on the age at which they're buying in at. So if they're coming in at a week of age, then really you're thinking about cryptosporidia, rotavirus, um, coronaviruses as common causes. If they're coming in sort of three weeks and older, then then really it's it's salmonella and coccidiosis. Um, And again, for salmonella Dublin, we did a recent bulk tank survey of of British dairy herds and and for Scottish dairy herds 55% of them are positive and in the the kind of dairy dense areas in in southwest Scotland that went up to about 87%. So again if if you're buying in calves particularly from multiple sources it is going to be something that you're going to to come up against um, and it's worth being familiar with with clinical signs and and with control of, of that. Okay um
0: so Katrina do you have any tips useful tips on preventing and
1: managing disease So I think to some extent it will depend on the the rearing system and the the pathogens that you're concerned about but I guess there are are, are certain things you can put in place or think about before um you know before you start purchasing calves and and one of those will be the calf selection so disease status of the herd of origin now for for some it's it's the prevalence of disease in the dairy herd is is high enough that you know that almost every farm will have them, or there'll be pathogens that would present on every farm. So it's not a case of, of kind of tends to keep those out, but there will be things like BVD, um, like TB that you want to to think about in terms of the status of the herd of origin, vaccination history of the the dams and calves, and is there anything that that can be done there to address any particular issues? Um, Also, just looking at the calves themselves in terms of weight for age, because that's a a good predictor um, for for future productivity and and success within the system. Um, And looking at whether or not there's any clinical signs, whether or not there's any evidence of, of navel ill or anything obvious there. And also, it's it's worth just having a discussion about with the farmer about colostrum and milk feeding history, particularly if you're buying these calves in older. You know, have these how much of these being being fed is has it been milk replacer? Has it been whole milk? Is has there been any history of of waste milk feeding? Some of it's about housing and group management and trying not to mix. Um, groups mixed calves from different farms so ideally taking a group from a farm and, and that becomes your group because that prevents a lot of the issues with mixing calves that have different immunities to, for for example in particular and um, salmonella um, and some of that will be looking at housing in terms of ventilation, stocking, drainage. Also think about what you know what are you going to vaccinate for? Um, are, are salmonella and mycoplasma as ones you, you want to think about? Um. I think particularly for, for farms that are have a suckler enterprise and then are doing this as a sideline, just really think about the biosecurity of your own herds and the risk to that, because, we, you know, we have had some outbreaks in, in suckler herds where there has been contact of, of personnel and equipment between, um, you know, between dairy calves or a dairy herd and a, a suckler herd. So really, we need to think about the risk to your own herd and how you're going to mitigate that. Um, And I think really a lot of a lot of infectious diseases is is the balance between the challenge so the environmental hygiene and what the calf can cope with. And really so much of of what the calf can cope with comes down to nutrition. Um, And actually a well nourished calf will be able to resist infection much more. It will be able to keep growing through an infectious disease challenge and, and cope with that energy cost of, of disease. Um, and it also serves to, to maximize the long-term immunity. So really feeding calves at this stage will will set them up with a better immune system for their lifespan. So the, the pre-weaning period is, is really critical for, um, for feeding them sufficiently. And it, it seems like an expensive enterprise, but actually the the benefits that will come back in terms of reduction of nutritional issues and, and reduction in infectious disease issues are are, are absolutely well worth it and are, are very easily offset.
0: Okay, thank you very much uh, Katrina and Lorna. That's been a really good overview covering nutrition and health issues for the dairy beef given us a useful insight and uh, thank you to our listeners for listening to our latest episode. Thanks.